You are listening to an Elam Christian Center podcast. We hope that you are inspired, encouraged, and empowered by the message you are about to hear. Hey, I've got a word for you guys um, tonight, and uh, I tossed and turned and tried a few different messages um, over the last uh, couple of weeks as I prepared for tonight's message, and uh, really... um, sort of struggled to land on what I felt like God was saying until I landed on this. And so I actually really believe, and even in worship, I just felt the Lord confirming to me that this um, message is um, really something that God wants to share with you guys tonight with this particular um, campus, in fact, uh, with this particular service. In fact, I'm preaching in um, Papakura next Sunday, and I was really hoping that it would be the, the one that God wanted them to know too, so that I could, you know, double down on my message efforts. Uh, but I don't know, sometimes God's mean to me and makes me write a new one. Uh, but it's going to be a little bit different tonight. I'm, I'm sharing a story, and I'm taking you on the journey that I went on uh, with this story. So there's not really any points. Um, there are some thoughts uh, that I have written down, but I want to take you on a story, uh, on a journey of the story found in Second Chronicles, and it's about um, one of the kings of Judah, and his name is Jehoshaphat, and we'll all just give me grace if I say that name in different ways every time I say it, okay, because there's some strange names in the Bible, and we can be creative with them um, as long as we keep the message, the essence the same, right? Okay, so Second Chronicles chapter 20, Verse 1, we're starting with that. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites, together with some of the Mayanites, came to fight against Jehoshaphat. People came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast number from beyond the Dead Sea from Edom has come to fight against you, and they're already at Hazazon Tamar. They're already quite near, is what they really want to say. Uh, Jehoshaphat was afraid, and he resolved to seek the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful for your presence already here. God, I thank you that you're already moving, you're already speaking, and I get a a great sense, Lord, that you really want to do something in our hearts tonight. Jesus, would you you continue to do a work in us? God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's alive. I thank you that it's life-giving to us, God, and as we look to it now, we pray that you would just speak to us, Lord. Father, I pray that out of it, we would hear your heart for us in our circumstance right now. Lord, we just give it to you. We give this time to you. We surrender our will. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So King Jehoshaphat gets this message. There's a vast number against you, and they're real near. They're not far away now. And so what he does is King Jehoshaphat gathers his people together from near and far, all the people of Judah, all throughout Jerusalem, and he gathers them together and he calls a fast, and and he calls them to fast and pray. And in 2 Chronicles, we read a prayer that Jehoshaphat prays in front of all of the people that he leads. And in the last line of the prayer, he says this. He says, we don't know what to do, but we look to you. We don't know what to do, but we look to you. We don't know what to do. I'm probably, I'm sure I'm not the only one in the room who has found themselves in situations and circumstances where where we hear ourselves saying out loud, oh, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I'm struggling with some things going on in my world and I don't know what to do. Uh, Stuff's going belly up in my workplace and I don't even know what to do. I've hurt someone that I love and I don't know what to do. I'm struggling, uni feels way over my head and I don't know what to do. 
My finances are awful and I don't know what to do. I'm struggling with a chronic illness and I don't know what to do. I'm really struggling to connect with God and I don't know what to do. I've got issues in my home and I don't know what to do. We can feel overwhelmed. Doesn't it sometimes feel like Jehoshaphat must have felt where there's like a vast number, a vast army, like, like everyone is up against us, like there's this massive army that we're against, that we're fighting, like it's coming in from both sides, like we're standing with a big mountain in front of us, and often we can find ourselves in this situation, we don't know what to do, and we're afraid, and panic begins to build, doesn't it? We've all been there. Here's the question, and I hope I can bring some answer to you tonight. What do we do when we don't know what to do? What do we do when we don't know what to do? I think I've told you this story before. I think I actually told it when we were online. Um, in 2020, before COVID, um, we had the privilege, and listen, I didn't realize what a privilege it was, but we had the privilege of going overseas. Uh, we, went to, we took the boys to Florida, and we went to Disney World with them. Uh, we had been away from New Zealand for about three months. We were on an extended leave, and so we had been gone for a long time, and we were on our final stretch home. This was the last leg of the journey, and we were in an airport in America, and it was one of those absolutely ginormous ones, you know, much, much bigger than the Auckland airport, and uh, it was, there were terminals that were connected by trains. That's how big it was. To get to the next part of the airport, you had to catch a train. Like, it was huge. And so we're in one of these very large airports. We were about to get on a 15-hour flight home, and we had been away from the country from home for three months. So you can imagine the amount of luggage that we had with us. Like, we had been living out of suitcases and collecting everything and everyone along the way, and we had a whole lot of luggage. There was Steve, myself, Judah, and Rocky, and we needed to get to a terminal that was connected by a train. So we're jumping on this train. And as we're on the platform heading toward the train, the doors uh, begin to beep. We hear this beeping sound indicating, you know the sound, right, when you're about to get on a, plane, on a train, which is telling you that these doors are about to close. You better get on and you better get on fast. So Steve and Rocky are in front of me and they jump on the, plane, on the, on the train. Get my, my, my vehicles right. They jump on the train and I jump on after them and I turn around to see Judah standing on the other side of the platform, the doors closing. And I watch him as he moves in, moves out and stops like a deer in the headlights and begins to watch as the train doors begin to close in front of him. I am on the inside of the train watching my 10-year-old child about to be left on a platform in an American airport. I did not know what to do. I didn't know what to do. Panic began to rise in me as I began to wonder how on earth I would get my child back if I left him standing on the platform. So, with suitcases in both hands, a backpack on my front and a backpack on my back, I did the only thing I knew to do. I put my head in the doors. <laughs> Boom. Whoops, I've lost my headband. <laughs> I put, hang on, better get that back on, it will complete the outfit. <laughs> I get my head in the doors. Don't ask me what I was doing with my legs, all right? I didn't think about my legs, I just thought about my head. I put my head in the doors, and the doors closed on my head, and I shunted the doors open, and Judah walked in the train. Thank you. 
Is the headband? Okay. I didn't know what to do. And sometimes when we don't know what to do and we're fearful and the panic begins to rise, we just do the first thing that comes to us. We do what's innate in us. And what's really interesting about Jehoshaphat is that one of the things that sets him apart from the other kings that went before him was that he did everything he could to cause the people of Judah to turn their hearts back to the Lord. They had been away from him and he did everything he could to turn their hearts from him. When we first meet King Jehoshaphat and he becomes king, some of the first things he does, it says very clearly in Scripture that the first things he does is he pulls down all the high places and he tears down all the altars and the idols that had been built to worship other gods. And not only does he do that, but he reestablishes the Levite priests and he reestablishes judges that would help to connect the people's hearts with the hearts of God. And not only did he do that, but he fortified, he strengthened the walls around the city. He fortified the city so that other neighboring nations wouldn't be able to come in and bring their culture, bring the gods that they worshiped and cause the people's hearts to turn away from God. See, it's easy to guess what King Jehoshaphat did when he didn't know what to do. He did what was in him. He did what he had established as he he had laid a foundation. The things that he did in his early days laid a foundation that stabilized him in his season of I don't know what to do. He did what he had already been doing. He did what was innate in him and he turned to the Lord. Do you have a foundation built in your life that will stabilize you in your season of I don't know what? to do. Think of it like this. Most of us, when we train for a job, the training that we undertake trains us for the skills that we will need and the things that we will do every single day, right? When you train for a job, in most jobs, the skills that you are using are the skills that you've been taught and you're using them every single day. It's different to if you train for something like the army, or the special forces, because when you train to be in the army or some other special force, special kind of brigade, (laughs) you are not training for the things you do every day. You are going through training that is giving you the skills that you need for the day you don't ever want to come. The training you are undertaking is training that will help you know what to do on your worst day. And I have to tell you today that you and I need to undergo that kind of training in our spiritual life today. When we can build a foundation of prayer, when we can build a foundation of worship, when we build a foundation of the Word, We are building in us, we are equipping ourselves for what we are going to need on our worst day. We are equipping ourselves, not necessarily for our everyday, but for the day that we don't know what to do. Resolve to seek the Lord. What are you going to do when you don't know what to do? We've got to do what's innate in us. And so we have to spend our everyday building a foundation that will stabilize us in our seasons when we don't know what to do. We read on in our story, 2 Chronicles verse 5 now, it says this. 
It says, Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the Lord's temple before the new courtyard. And he said this, he said, Lord God of our ancestors, this is his prayer. He says, Lord God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hand and no one can stand against you. Are you not the God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and who gave it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? Are you not the God who? Are you not the God who? See, here's the thing about faith. The thing about faith is that it's really hard to stir faith when we're looking at the thing that's right in front of us in our present moment. It is very hard to conjure up faith when we're looking smack bang at the middle of our problem. Because when we look at it, it's a vast number. When we look at it, it looks like a vast army standing in front of us. When we look at it, it's, it's an enormous mountain that we're struggling to overcome. When we look at it, we're afraid. Remember, we don't know what to do. Our problem is that we try for so long to fan into flame our faith while looking at what's right in front of us. But can I suggest that we need to stop looking at what's right in front of us and look at what's gone before us? Because if we could begin to see faith from a different perspective, perhaps we could look at the pathway of miracles that had been set out before us. It might make faith for what's in front of us a whole lot easier to stir up. When you are looking for someone to do a job around the house, maybe you've got some tiling you need doing, perhaps you've got the lawns you need mowed, or you want to do some painting, you want to build a fence. Uh, what do you do when you don't know who to call? Well, your first port of call is everyone's first port of call, the community grapevine on Facebook. That's where we go, isn't it? We go there for our recommendations. We get on the Facebook and we go on to the Flatbush Community Grapevine and we say, looking for recommendations. And we jump on there and we say, hey, Grapeviners, TIA. Thanks in advance. So you guys know what that means? I always have to check what that means. When I'm, I'm like, what the heck is TIA? Anyway, uh, looking for recommendations. Anybody know a tile guy? Anybody know a fence guy? Anybody know a paint guy? And then you'll get a list of recommendations of all sorts of people. Some just write following, some because they want to know also about your tile guy. Uh, some will do recommendations, some will second someone else's recommendation. And all of a sudden, you've got this list of people. And so when you go to book in, when you go to book someone in for that job, to hire that person, the, all these re, based on all these recommendations, you are not booking them because you are convinced that they're going to do a good job on your job, although you really hope they will. You are booking them based on the recommendation, the testimony of someone who has already seen their work done. You are hiring them based on the testimony of a previous job. So when I ring up Jimmy, the tile guy, and I say, yo, Jimmy, are you the guy? I wouldn't actually say, yo, Jimmy. <laughs> I'd just say, <clears throat> hello there, um, Jimmy. This is Rebecca Green here. Um, uh, are you the guy that did Dean's tiling? Because I want to know the history 
of his tile record. His reputation for a job well done is why I'm trusting him with my current need. Can I tell you today that God's reputation for a miracle done is why we can put our confidence in him. His, God's reputation for a miracle done here and his, reputa- his reputation for a miracle done here and his repu- reputation for a miracle done here and his reputation for a miracle done here is why I can confidently put my trust in him for a miracle done here in my current need, my current circumstance. Are you not the God who split the Red Sea? Are you not the God who made the blind man see? Are you not the God who fed fed the Israelites in the wilderness? Are you not the God who made the lame man walk? Are you not the God who fed 5,000 people on two loaves and fish? Are you not the God who defeated armies? Are you not the God who turned up when I was lonely? Are you not the God who healed my friend when I prayed and she was in hospital? Are you not the God who found us a house when we thought it was impossible? Are you not the God who provided when we had absolutely nothing? Are you not the God who met my need? Are you not the God who brought my family back together when we were broken? Are you not the God? Are you not the God who has done this before? And we'll do it again. Power and might are in your hand. And no one, no one can stand against you. Listen to God's reply to King Jehoshaphat's prayer. In verse 17, it says, Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast number. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. You will see them coming up the ascent of Ziz. And you will find them at the end of the valley facing the wilderness of Jerul. You do not have to fight this battle. Position yourselves and stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Position yourselves and stand still. Wait just a minute. That's like a real bad military strategy. Okay, everybody, take your places. We're going to do nothing. All right. Take your positions, guys. I mean, I know the the speech that they give is probably a whole lot more like Braveheart than this. Okay, everybody, I want you to take your positions. We're just going to stay right here. We're just going to do nothing. Like, that does not sound like a very good military strategy to me, but here's the thing. The enemy's goal is to have you afraid and discouraged. That's That's what his goal is. That's what he is always trying to do. And his intention, his plan, is that you would tie yourself out fighting a battle that isn't yours to fight. Fighting a battle that you can't win on your own. But God's instruction is this. You don't have to fight the battle because it's not yours to fight. It's mine. It's mine. So position yourselves and stand still. In other words, what's he saying? He's saying, you don't have to fight. You just have to not give up. You don't have to fight. You just have to not give up. To position yourselves and stand still means to endure, to persist, to be steadfast. It means to remain. It means to stay grounded. It means to hold one's ground. I watched a ridiculously time-wasting YouTube clip the other day, a YouTube video, and it was one about somebody who's named himself Mr. Beast. You guys know who Mr. Beast is? 
Anybody got 10-year-old children, you will know who Mr. Beast. Mr. Beast is a man who makes these videos, these YouTube videos, and he gives a whole bunch of money away. Wasted like 10 minutes of my life watching this video. This is one video that he makes. And uh, the challenge was he, he put 100 girls in one room inside a big circle and 100 boys in another room inside a big circle. And the challenge was that they had to last 100 hours without putting a foot outside the circle. And the team, girls or boys, that had the most people still inside their circle at the end of it, won $500,000. It was a battle of endurance. It was down to the one who could simply remain. It was not a battle of skill. It was not a battle of strength. It wasn't about their talent. It wasn't about their intelligence. It was simply a battle of endurance. It was simply a battle of staying power, the person who did not give up. See, when you are competing in any kind of sport, and I'm only speaking out of what I've watched on television because this is not my area of expertise, but when you are competing in any kind of sport, whether it be boxing or any other endurance sport or competitive sport against another uh, competitor, one of the biggest strategies you can play is to hope that your opponent will tire themselves out so much that they will drop their guard, that they will make some kind of mistake, that they will somehow tire themselves out enough for you to get in and get ahead. See, the message to Jehoshaphat is a good reminder to each and every one of us that we mustn't be the ones who tire fighting a battle that isn't ours to fight, but we must simply be the ones that are still standing. Just don't give up. You don't have to fight. And some of you need to hear that today. It's not your battle. You don't have to fight. You just have to not give up. Don't give up. Don't give up on God. Don't give up on yourself. Don't give up on prayer. Don't give up on church. For some of you, that's what you needed to hear coming in today. I know many people, we haven't done this for a very long time. I can guarantee in just about every single service, service there's a person walking in thinking, if God doesn't show up today, that's it. I'm done coming here. Don't give up on church. Don't give up on seeking God. When you don't know what to do, position yourselves and stand still. Verse 17 continues. It says, He is with you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Tomorrow, go out and face them, for the Lord is with you. For the Lord is with you. For the Lord is with you. Pastor Banning Liebscher uh, from Jesus Culture, he just preached, um, he preached on Sunday morning for us in our morning services and then spent the week with us with our pastors. We had a pastors conference here from all the pastors of our Elam movement and he said this this weekend, he says, most of us worry about the outcome because we have believed the lies that either God is not with us or he is not for us. Most of us worry about the outcome because we have believed a lie that God is either not with us or not for us. See, not only is God fighting the battle for you, but he is with you. Don't be tempted to face your struggle believing that you are alone. Don't look at your problem as though God is not with you every step of the way. I'm going to ask the band to just come and join me now. 
verse 18 and 19 says this, then Jehoshaphat knelt low with his face to the ground and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord to worship him. Then the Levites from the sons of the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel, shouting loudly. Verse 21 says that he appointed some to sing for the Lord and some to praise the splendor of his holiness. When they went out in front of the armed forces, they kept singing, give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love endures forever. The moment they began their shouts and praises, the Lord set an ambush against the Ammonites, Moabites, inhabitants of Mount Seir, who came to fight against Judah, and they were defeated. Here's the thing we have to remember. Our praise begins before the victory is sure. Praise begins before victory is sure. They sent their worship team ahead of the armed troops. Again, not sure that's a great strategy, a military strategy. What do you guys think? But Hannah Jane, she's like, yeah, I'm for it, man. <laughs> they went out, they sent praise first. Why? Well, here's what I've learned. Praise shifts what we are focusing our attention on. Praise no longer looks at the problem. Praise doesn't look at the struggle. Praise doesn't look at the circumstance. In fact, regardless of what I'm thinking or what I'm feeling or what's going on in my heart and my mind, every time I open my mouth, praise says, no, come on, come on, soul. Praise says, no, 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 come on, heart. Praise says, no, no, come on, mind. Come on, spirit. We're looking to God says we're not looking at our problem we're not looking at the mountain we're going to look to God you know the other thing praise does is it, it, it reminds us of who he is it reminds us of what he's done because we sing it we sing about what he's done we sing about who he is praise see, it causes our hearts to go are you not the God who are you not the God who's done this before? Praise is a reminder to us of just how big and good and faithful and loving and holy and kind and merciful and gracious our God is. The Word also says that God inhabits the praises of His people. And so when I begin to praise, it is inviting the presence of God into my circumstance, which means I can guarantee that I am not in it alone. That not only is He for me because I've reminded myself with my praise, but also He is with me because I've invited it in with my praise. When you don't know what to do, praise. Praise. A friend of mine Pastor Carolina Gunser, who some of you might remember, she's been over here, preached a few times, preached at our Replenish Conference. Her and her husband, Sam, pastored an amazing church in um, Brisbane, City Point Redcliffe in Brisbane for many years, married for 20 years, four children, roughly the same age as my kids. In April, sadly, um, Pastor Carolina lost her husband, Sam, to a short battle with cancer. And he passed away at the age of 43 years old, I believe. 
And uh, not long afterwards, in fact, I think it was about two weeks after he passed away, two or three weeks after he passed away, it was Mother's Day. And I remember just scrolling social media on Mother's Day and seeing that Carolina was up preaching on Mother's Day, only three weeks after her husband had passed away. And I thought, whoa, how is she doing that? How is she standing up in front of all those people and preaching a word of faith when she's just lost her husband only three weeks earlier? I was blown away. I couldn't understand it. I didn't understand. And one day I listened to her preach. It was about three months after the fact. And she said this. She said, when he passed away, everyone was telling her what she should be doing. They were telling her how she should now be acting now that she was a widow. Now that she's a widow, this is what she should be doing. And now that you're a widow, this is how you should be acting. And not what, there were many suggestions on how she should now be living her now widowed life. Not one of them consisted of continuing to preach, lead, or pastor her church. Not one of them consisted of continuing to do what God had called her to do in the first place. And she describes the Sunday after Sam passed away, which happened to be Easter weekend. And she says she remembers her kids coming to her and saying, are we going to go to church today? And she, was, she didn't know how to answer. She said, well, what do you want to do? And they looked at her as if she was crazy. Like, what do you mean, what do we want to do? Yes, we're going to church. It's what we do, mum. It's what we do. When you're in a season where you don't know what to do, what's in you to do? What is it that you do? What's in you to do? When you are up against a vast army coming at you from all sides, overwhelmed and afraid, not knowing what to do, can I encourage you? Do what's in you to do. Do what's in you to do. Well, we're a people who look to God. We're a people who look to God. And so when we, when we don't know what to do, we're going to just do what's in us. And we're going to look to God. And well, we're a people who don't give up. And so when we don't know what to do, we're simply going to do what's in us. And we're going to stand firm. And we're going to hold our ground. And we're not going to give up. And well, we're a people who keep turning up who keep turning up to church, who keep turning up in prayer, who keep turning up in praise. And so when we don't know what to do, we're just going to do what's in us. And we're just going to keep turning up. We're going to keep turning up to church. And we're going to keep turning up to small group. And we're going to keep turning up in prayer. And we're going to keep turning up in the Word. And we're going to keep turning up in our praise. Well, we're a people who praise before we see the breakthrough. So when we don't know what to do, we're going to do just what's in us and we're going to keep praising God even though we have not seen the victory. We're going to magnify his name. And I actually want us to do that right now. I'm going to ask you to join me. You're going to stand to your feet with me, please, because sometimes we need to learn what it means to praise through our pain. And I have to be honest with you and tell you that there have been times when I have stood down there and I have not known what to do. In fact, I have stood up here 
and I have not known what to do. And so I just did the only thing I could. And I opened my mouth and I lifted my praise. And I lifted my praise and I reminded my soul of who God was. And I reminded my spirit of what He's done. And I reminded my heart and my will of what He was going to do. Why? Because it's the same thing I've done every day for the past 25 years. It's the same thing I've done and so I just did what was in me. And I actually wanna invite us now, I'm gonna ask the team to come and sing. I think, um, can we do Christ Be Magnified? Yeah, I'm gonna, we're gonna do Christ Be Magnified. We're gonna lift our praise. And, and what I want us to do is, I want you to do, I want you to, um, I actually want you to position yourselves. <laughs> and if you can, if you're like, if you're like in the front of an aisle or the edge of an aisle, or if you're in the middle and you wanna get out to position yourselves, find a spa, spot, find a space where you can position yourselves. Take a step forward and position yourself. Take a step sideways and position yourself. Climb over a seat, get into a free space and position yourselves. Plant your ground, position, strengthen your position. Stand your ground, lift your praise. Can I remind you that you were actually created for the purpose of giving God glory? So if you're standing here today and you're saying, Bex, I don't think that's in me. Can I tell you, it was born, you were born with it in you. It's our innate disposition, our natural disposition. The disposition that we had at birth was to give God glory. It's what we were created for. It's in you. It's in you to do. And right now, we're going to lift our voices, and we're going to magnify God. And here's what I want you to do. Whatever circumstance you're dealing with, whatever circumstance you're going through, whatever is happening in your world, or you don't know what to do, here's what I want you to do. I want you to begin declaring the name of Jesus over it. I want you to begin to lift up and magnify His name above that thing that you are dealing with. Whatever it is, I want you to picture it on the ground and Christ up here. I want you to picture it under the feet of Jesus. Come on, we're going to begin to lift our praise. We're going to begin to praise through our pain. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for listening to this Elam Christian Center podcast. Please subscribe to keep hearing more life-changing messages. For more information about our church, please visit www.elamchristiancenter.org.nz.